So it's just one of those typical weekdays, uh, except maybe not. You know, uh, we've uh, recently gone through some of the hardest, most coldest months of Austin. We survived. We pulled through. We, we did. We got through it together. Yeah. As a city, congratulations, Austin. And as a present to you, though I don't know when this is going to be out, we have a wonderful guest, Chris King, here to not only tell us stories about his many adventures playing music in Austin, <laughs> but to also uh, let us in on the process and, you know, some uh, anecdotes about maybe the road. I don't know. We haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> I'm AJ Henderson. This is Mark Goldsmith. You're listening to Live Fire. Introduce yourself, Chris. Hi, my name is Chris King, and I'm actually a recent, more recent transplant to Austin, Texas. I moved here back in August. So, but like you guys, I'm glad to be out of the, looks like out of the woods from the cold and on the way into warmer times. Maybe if I was a modern man, things would fall right into my hands. I wouldn't ever have to think about anybody but myself. But as it is, I'm just a native son, born and raised and poured out on a state that's larger than I'll ever be, and it's a burden to my heart. Now you're a Texan through and through, right? You were uh, through and through, born, born here, raised here. Um, now I was born out in Eagle Lake, which is a little bit west of um, Houston. Uh, south of I-10. Uh, my dad was the <clears throat> superintendent there at the high school. And I was lived there till what we were, I was five or six. And then we moved um, to a little town um, south of San Antonio, about a thousand person town. There were 16 people in my graduating class, that kind of, that kind of place. Wow. Um, population, 1,007 people in Runge, Texas, R-U-N-G-E. My dad was a superintendent there at the high school my entire time growing up. Um, then I lived, I went off to college in a college station, Nagy. So anyone it's listening in this town, here. yeah, don't yeah. don't fault me for that. But I uh, finished up there and moved back um, down south to uh, Pleasanton, which is actually just 45 minutes from where I grew up uh, and started teaching and coaching there and kind of doing music on the side. That's how all of this started. Now, uh, Mark and I, we're from rural areas um, in in New Mexico. I'm from Silver City. Okay. Um, He's from Las Cruces, but uh, not that rural. But it's not as you. I get get played on the radio in Las Cruces. (laughs) Yeah, that's Las Cruces is actually pretty good. There's a guy um, plays me on the radio out there. His name is Seth Wilson. I think it's. I think he does the. Uh, K Rux is that a station out there? Crux, that's yeah, the station yeah. I used to be. <laughs> yeah, he, we actually he, both used to have a show on there. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, he plays me out there on out in Las Cruces. So. Nice. Technically, they're Aggies as well, so we're Aggies. <laughs> yeah, okay, we, fair we, enough. Yeah. So we we'll find some common ground. Yeah, find some common ground. Uh, but do you think that has anything to do with your songwriting? Do you think that gives you like a different scope from people that are? Um, in I think cities? It, I think it does to a degree. A lot of the stuff I write, a lot of it's based. In South Texas, like where I uh, grew up, and I kind of answered this question before with someone. They were asking me if that area kind of has a big part in the things I write and the way I frame songs. And and to me, it does just because I don't feel I haven't ever felt as creative or inspired as I am when I'm 
in a more rural setting. Here, I, I've always, I always, since we moved here, I've kind of felt a little claustrophobic. Yeah. Um, I'm enjoying it just I'm because it's the only time you know I've ever lived. It's the only time I've ever lived in a city that has more than three thousand people in it. So, I guess College, college Station doesn't count because you're not you're not living in College Station ever. You're just waking up there. You're partying and you're all existing. of that. Yeah, yeah you're I existing. Understand you're you're that. surviving in, in College that. Station for four years if you're going to school there. Well, personally, I, I think that people tend to like get like a different point of view. If, uh, you know, the next mecca or hub that they have to get to takes some, like, there's some points where there's nothing in it, you know. Right. Which have at least, like, 45. So I guess, like, like to me, College Station would totally count. Right. Because it's, like, or like even places like Las Cruces count because it's just, like, either way, like, when that town's done, it's done. Whereas, right. like, Austin, it's kind of like an onion, you know. You, you right, hit all right, these, right. Like, all these, like, suburbs, you know. Right, exactly. Yeah, and even even where I live, and, it, and it's funny, you know, I grew up um, in a very... Um, I was discussing this with my girlfriend because she lives. She grew up in South Texas too, in a little town called uh, Refugio. It's down kind of towards the coast. Um, but I grew up in a predominantly Hispanic town, neighborhood, whatever you want to call it. And um, now I live down in South Austin there, and I've always lived in these little towns in South Texas where that's just the way it was, you know. And if I f- I feel like living down there. It, Staying in that little area and going to the little corner shop to get food or going to, you know, a restaurant there, that feels a little more like home. Uh, it's when, it's when I have to travel an hour to get to work and it's 11 miles that, that that's the kind of thing <laughs> that, that grind, that makes me grind my teeth in the car. But yeah, it, in, a way, in a weird, weird way, you know, living down there in South Austin kind of feels like home until I have to get in the car and go somewhere. Which is on the other side of town, but so you've never written a song in a car? It's just thinking in, in, to yourself no. in traffic. <laughs> no, I do. I do listen oh, to a lot of music in the car. That's that's where, and generally on my commute back from work, I work up on Forty Fifth and Burn It, and coming back, you know, I've got a solid hour to listen to whatever I want, whether it's a podcast or whether it's a, <laughs> a new record I picked up from somewhere or. Um, but usually I'm too angry <laughs> to have any kind of creativity while I'm driving. It's more, more me soaking up stuff. <laughs> I do. I'm, I'll joke, I made a joke a minute ago about grinding my teeth, but that's real. I notice once I get off of Mopac that my jaw is tight and that I've been grinding my teeth while, while driving. Who are the best bands to listen to during a traffic jam? During a traffic jam. Hmm. What have I been listening to? Well, I can't really say a lot about... All I've been listening to lately is uh, Rodney Crowell, and I've been going way backwards in his uh, catalog. But I see you've got koozies here from a lot of people that I actually do listen to quite frequently from uh, William Clark Green. Got a good record out. Quaker City Nighthawks, Mayan Broussard, all all uh, actually great, great uh, guys to listen to in the car. I've actually listened to the William Clark Green record several times in the car on the way home. <laughs> we are extremely proud of our Koozie collection. Yeah. So <laughs> I've got, I've got, I think like 10 left and I'll get y'all one. I got some in the car. So All right. well, I'll, I'll add to the, I'll add to the pot here. 
It's it's uh, strange. I rarely carry them around on me. All and of them. Uh, uh, no, just koozies in general. Uh, and it's I've definitely started to notice the difference because that is like a thing that people use in Austin to identify themselves and say like this is what I'm into. Uh, Philosophically, I'm here, you know. Right, and, right. It's all it's all right here. <laughs> uh, and uh, I, I haven't really that. I found that yet, you know, in like a in a, in a koozie koozie. form. But I was hmm. just like, my hand is cold, and it's right. I could easily prevent this. Right. Uh, See, I. I and I don't know if this is a regional thing or not. Um, I've grown up here all, all my life. And to me, this the koozie always served as maybe something, to I thought, to keep the beer insulated from the heat outside. But everyone I talk to, like, that's from um, up north, and I may be wrong, but these are the people I've talked to say that they don't, they don't, it's not a thing <laughs> around there because the beer stays cold. But I I may be wrong on that. And I've I, noticed that they have a lot more glasses, you know, like beer steins and things like that, so that you don't have to actually touch the cold right. beer, so it doesn't freeze there. Because I mean, I remember, you know, you could actually just put your beer outside on the window ledge, right? So as long as you weren't on the first floor, you're pretty safe. <laughs> right. Right? But yeah, you wouldn't even need a refrigerator or much less anything else. Just stick your beer out there. Twenty minutes later, you right, got a cold right, beer. Cold so. beer, yeah, exactly. Different experience here. That's been nice though, if, if that's what you've been doing the last few weeks here. You just <laughs> buy a six pack, come home, leave it outside for twenty minutes, and bam, there you go. I have some quick questions, kind of okay. more about your music here. Yeah. As far as, are you doing everything yourself? Are you? What's that? <clears throat> well, for example, your label. Right. I I looked into it, and so you said it's on Classic <laughs> Horse. Yeah. And. Obadiah Rowe Publishing. Right. I couldn't find anybody um, else on that. No, nobody's on. Classic Horse is, um, it's just a name. Um, if, you look in, if you look into real hard, um, a lot of people that aren't on major labels, I think, um, you'll always see, I've done this because I've been looking at, um, when I first started doing stuff, bands that I liked, um, kind of in the, in the Texas or alt-country scene, look at their records and see what labels they were on and try to find a way to, you know, get my records to some people and found out a lot of these labels like don't exist or they're just, they're the band that's on the label. And so that actually the classic course thing, I also do like um, some freelance graphic design. And so the classic classic horse label is what I was initially doing um, my graphic design stuff, concert posters and CD artwork and stuff like that under, and then it came time to put out uh, my first EP, and I wanted it to look like it was on a record label or that I had some kind of credibility, so I stuck that on the back of it. So that's what that is. All right. The uh, Obadiah Rose uh, Publishing, that is um, an actual thing. That's, but that's when you, when you write music um, or write songs, they have to be registered so you can have some kind of copyright over them. Um, there's three... Companies generally that do that: BMI, ASCAP, and CSAC. Right, and you're on um, CSAC, and I'm on which... CSAC. And when you when you when you sign up for one of these, you have to create your your publishing company and give it a name. And that's the name I gave mine. Anybody that... that you look under, um, you know, who wrote the song, it'll generally say written by X Y Z person slash, and then it'll have their publishing company. <clears throat> And so is Obadiah Rose, was that somebody, was that like a relative? Is that a um, name? Way, way back um, a long time ago, um, my family came from North Carolina um, initially, my father's side, and I had a great, 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 great grandfather named Obadiah. We were looking at pictures one time, and 
It's just a name that stuck with me, so I stuck it in there. Right. And being part of CSAC, it's a little bit different than if you're part of uh, ASCAP or BMI. Um, they actually have to approve you. Right. You have to um, get approved to be um, under CSAC or recommended by one of their, I don't know what you call them, representatives. Um, and that happened very um, oddly because I knew some people that are on CSAC. I mean, I mean the benefits or or drawbacks of being on any of them are debatable by whoever. Um, but I thought when I was looking into them, I thought, oh, well, you have to be like, seems like you have to have some credibility to be on this one. So I'm going to shoot for that one. And so if you go on to CSAC's website, I saw these names of who these representatives, um, there's some in LA, some in Nashville, some in wherever, New York, I think. Um, and there was a guy, you can look and see who all they've worked with or who all they kind of signed, if you want to call it that. And there was a guy I looked up and he had under his name, a lot of people that I liked and they were more, it was more country leaning, um, on his end. And so I, I guessed, I took a guess at his email address, um, by just putting his first name at, you know, whatever. And then I tried three or four different combinations, like first name, period, last name at whatever first name, last name together, first name, underscore, last name, whatever. And sure as shit, um, he emailed me back, was just kind of, I was introducing myself and sent him some of my music. <clears throat> and I told him a little bit about my story, you know, where I grew up. And, and it says on there the things they look for when they're, say, you know, it's like, we're looking to see if you tour a lot. We're looking to see blah, blah, blah. And I explained in that that as, as I was a teacher, you know, I wasn't touring. Um, I was mostly writing, focusing on that. Just wanted to be somewhere where I felt like, you know, I could be with some good people. And um, turns out he was from a town that is probably 10 minutes from where my parents grew up. Um, and he knew some of the people that I knew that my parents knew. And he was like, sure, I'll, I'll send you through. <laughs> and that's wow. how that happened. It was just a stroke of, of good luck. So, Well, I, I do give you a lot of credit <laughs> because... That's not just a stroke of good luck. You're doing a lot of work. You're doing absolutely amazing yeah. work on Thanks. Twitter. You're doing a lot of work, and it's it's amazing. Like for example, you funded your last album, the right. you can only album with Kickstarter. With Kickstarter, um, yeah, that was going to be my first uh, full length record. Uh, it's called 1983. It came out last year. You're year. Born. Yeah, the year I was born. I've I had kind of going into that a love hate relationship with Kickstarter. I had seen some really cool things happen with Kickstarter. I'd been paying attention to it for a while. I had put my own money into some projects that, that came to fruition and some that didn't, you know, whatever. But the thing that, that really drew me to it was wasn't like some other crowdfunding platforms where, you know, you you get some of the money if you don't, if it doesn't succeed. You know, right. if you ask for $10,000 and you get 4000 you know, you still get the 4000 It was kind of an all or nothing uh, go at it. And so I figured out how much it was going to cost me to do this record. And I decided to ask for half of that on Kickstarter. And I took out a bank loan for the other half. Because in in the way that I, you know, we did a video with a buddy of mine who runs a, um, he does film. He does all kinds of film stuff. His name's Ryan Hargrave. Um, he has a company called Modern Trade. Um, they do a lot of film stuff, and they've got a, some really cool things coming out. They do a lot of work with um, – they're doing some stuff by, for South By and 
all that good stuff. But um, I told him, you know, I want to shoot this video and I just want it to be me being honest about what I'm doing and, and all that. And so, you know, I, that's how I approached it to the, to people who might see it is, you know, look, I'm, I'm asking for this much, but know that I'm putting in this much, whatever, you know, I asked for X amount and I'm putting in that same amount. You know, I'm not going to ask you to do this all for me because I'm doing part of it myself. And it worked out. People really jumped on it. And I don't know if I'd do another one. Um, I think it's a great thing when people use it right. I think sometimes, you know, people that have a lot of money that probably have really no reason to, for it to be a necessity, kind of take advantage of that. But, you know, I guess, I guess if, if somebody that does have tons of money laying around and, they want to use Kickstarter and their fans are down for it. Then who am I to say that it's not, it's right. not something that makes sense. I got you. Well, I was pretty interested in kind of some of the, I guess you'd say perks that you attach yeah. to that. Cause you, you did a lot here. Um, not only some personal design things like right. posters and, and giving yeah. away like all your notes and things like that, but yeah. also, um, hand engraved, uh, yeah, I, I did flame some, throwers. yeah, yeah, yeah. And also what about that beer party? Yeah, that happened. Um, uh, that was actually a surprise. I didn't think that would happen, but a buddy of mine, one of the one of the rewards levels that I had put on Kickstarter was a we just called it a beer party where uh I come out and kind of do a personal show. This family of mine, a family of mine. Uh they're they're a family that I've been family friends with since college. Um they have a little group that have been big supporters of me. There's two or three families um, in this little town out in East Texas called Sour Lake. They all kind of got a bunch of those family members in that little community out there pitched in all the money and, and made that happen. And so that actually is what put that, that Kickstarter over the top for me to be able to go ahead and make the record. Yeah, so, that was almost a third. Almost yeah, a third. yeah, it was almost a third. It was yeah. a grand. It was a grand out of the 3500 that I asked for. And yeah, man, they, they came through and it was, it was great. I went out there and I did a little party and we drank beer all night and hung out and shot fireworks. And it was great out in the, out in the boonies out in East Texas. Uh, what are the themes that we're dealing with in 1985 and uh, <clears throat> 1983? Um, 1983. The sorry. The theme. Sorry. It's okay. You can be, I, I, that makes me three years, young, two years younger. Yeah. Yeah. I was very confident when I said 1985 <laughs> though. I really felt like that's what the album was called. I was just going to roll. I was just going to roll with it. Um, <laughs> The I guess the themes. First of all, when I when I wrote this um, record, for the most part, save I think two songs, I wrote it all at once. I'm not a person that that you know is very. I'm starting to be. I'll say, I'll say that this was this was a year and a half ago when I wrote it. I'm starting to be a person who's more disciplined about their craft as far as sitting down and making myself work on my writing. Um, I used to not be like that. Um, and I was more of a kind of, eh, whenever something hits me, I'll sit down and write or work on it. But, um, I'm a believer in for making yourself have, um, forced emergencies. And, um, I knew that we were going to cut a record and I had three songs, maybe two and a half when I decided to, yeah, let's do this and start to get everything rolling for, um, you know, getting revved up to do it. And I sat down in a two week span and wrote about eight songs, seven, eight, seven or eight songs. The way we recorded them is just like they are on the record. Um, the way I, the way I ordered them and sent them to my producer, 
um, who runs the studio out there um, just down the street from where I live now uh, called Cedar Creek Recording. The way I sent them to him is the same order they're in on the record. I sent him demos, and I told him I want them in this order. I want to cut them in this order. And um, the, the themes, though, that run throughout the record are, um, I guess, maturing, maturing, someone who's maturing, um, someone who's starting to recognize and appreciate um, things they may have lost or um, hadn't appreciated um, in years before. Someone that's probably being very, I say someone like it's not me, self-reflection, looking at yourself and where you're coming from. And, um, and the last, I mean, the major thing that kind of runs through the whole thing is home. Um, and that's why I titled it what I did because, you know, that's when I was born and, you know, everything kind of spins out of, out of that idea. You know, where do you come from? How do those things relate to what's important to you? And so that, that, that theme kind of runs throughout the whole record. And I wrote it to be a record instead of a bunch of, you know, as people might sit down and write like, oh, this is, this is going to be, you know, a single, or this is going to be whatever. Um, I sat down and wrote the whole thing. And then I kind of chose which ones I thought might be, Hey, this one would be maybe one we can work on a little more in the studio and, and gear it up a little bit for maybe some kind of radio play. Um, but yeah, I think if you're going to name one theme in the whole record, it's, it's home or growing up. And with that, you're talking, or at least on online, you asked your followers a little bit about made-up versus real situations in your yeah. songwriting. Yeah. And, and I, I noticed you said that about you put it back on yourself, but also about someone. On some of those songs, did you kind of project onto a character? Did you? Is it all kind of semi-autobiographical? How are we? How are we taking that? The a lot of times um, they'll start off. My intent is really never to write biographically because I'm not that interesting of a person. Um, but I think everyone has um, a lot of the same emotions or a lot of the same things they've dealt with in life in general, um, whether it's losing someone you love or meeting someone new or de- grappling with who you are, um, a lot of those kind of themes. And so a lot of times they start off as me thinking in my head, okay, let's write a song about a guy that's, um, or a girl that's, you know, dealing with this. And eventually myself finds, you know, it's way in it. And I can look back on them now at the time when I was writing them, it, to me, it's like, they're all made up, but I can look back on things that I've written now and think, Oh, you know what? That probably has to do with when I was doing this in my life. And no wonder it came out that way. But to answer that question, you know, if, if, if it's more me or if it's more made up, it tends to be more made up just because I like, I like trying to create something that I have no necessary attachment to. Um, I don't like to tell everybody everything about, you know, the, the throes of my personal (laughs) affairs. Um, you know, and I feel, and I feel to a degree, you know, it's easier to make songs relatable to people. If you listen to like my first couple of EPs that I put out, those are very a lot more autobiographical than that last record than 1983 is and it's because I hadn't I was writing only what I knew. And so I feel like a lot of those songs while I'm proud of them, they're not they're not necessarily accessible by a lot of other people. They may not they may be too specific, you know, setting-wise or time-wise or even just, you know, using 
descriptors in a room, like too mm-hmm. specific for anybody to kind of feel like they can be a part of the song. And that's something I've tried to work on. So as I write more, um, try to do less of me and more something universal, I guess. About your kind of your backing band, Chris King and the Liberators. Yeah, that's what we that's what we call it. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's not the uh, Sex Pillow. In case in case anybody's googling <laughs> the Liberator out there, um, I got it's not the Sex Pillow. But <clears throat> I was informed of that of totally independently as someone came up to me like I, they asked what the name of the band was and I told them they're like oh like the Sex Pillow and I had to look on my phone. And realize, oh well, I may have made a horrible mistake. The Liberators, yeah, are a sex pillow. No, it's just a sex pillow. The <laughs> I Liberator. See. I figured it's better than just my name, or way better than the Chris King Band, like a lot of people seem to do. So, well, I, I give you, I give you a lot of uh, credit because there's a lot of Chris Kings out there. Yeah, there's some, there's several Chris Kings. That's why, like my Twitter handle and my actual website. Um, none of it like Chris King music, Chris King, whatever you look it up. Chris King.com is a, is a company that makes, um, bike parts, bike parts. Yeah. <laughs> Precision bicycle components to be exact. I've looked I at read it that several times. I yeah. read that. Precision bicycle components. I think there's a several photographers. Um, there's another guy named Chris Thomas King that I think he plays blues of some kind. That was hard getting all that straightened out in iTunes and, Thank God he uses his middle name because that would make it really bad. But yeah, but yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of uh, Chris Kings running around in the world. All you got to do is Chris King music though. And you got that top yeah, spot. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, Chris King music. That's amazing. There. Yeah, exactly. You're the only one of them making music. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> well, no, Chris Thomas. Chris <laughs> yeah. Thomas. There's, there's some, there's more actually too. another one. There's a rapper. Yeah. I was um, listening to him earlier. Yeah. <laughs> How is it? I haven't listened to it. It's uh, it's interesting. Is it like gang- hardcore gangster rap? Pretty it? much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you're ever challenged to a rap battle, I oh, say no. just take it. <laughs> yeah. Just take it. <laughs> yeah. You've never seen me rap. Uh, I don't think that's you have why, to. That's why, I think yeah. you can move them with your guitar <laughs> right. and just be like, this is what I do. Uh, and I'll find ways to insult you, I guess. I, yeah. I, I think that's like the meaning of freestyling. Insulting sure. each other? Yeah. yeah, that's the idea. I think so. You don't see a lot of that in country. What insults? Well, I mean, like, uh, not like the, the people are like there face to face, just like doing it back and forth, like facing their accuser. Uh, mm. Only on Twitter. Only on Twitter. Only on Twitter, I think that happens sometimes. Do we have any Twitter stories about that? No. Not at all. <laughs> not at all. No, not this time. We let, but, we let that used lay Twitter low. I put that to bed. <laughs> me, me and I'll say, me and Josh Abbott had a throwdown one night, and I was drunk. And uh, he probably wasn't. I'll, I'll say maybe he wasn't. Um, but we made amends now. Um, we're on good terms. We've kind of put that behind. <laughs> Just a reminder, kids, do not drink and tweet. Yeah, don't drink and tweet. Or get on Facebook or Instagram. <laughs> right. or, I think don't uh, drink and get on Instagram would be better. Or, or on the internet at all, <laughs> right. really. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I'm you've actually used on. Twitter to your advantage on several occasions. Yeah. As far I love as, like, Twitter. Um, I probably use it too much, but the <clears throat> the... You know, my album that came, that 1983 album, got a little bit of attention, and it wouldn't have gotten near the amount of attention had I not used Twitter. And had I, and I, and to think that that, it still kind of blows my mind to think that that was something that 
truly added to the success, the limited success of that record um, for me was something like Twitter. You know, it still boggles my mind. Like, how can me typing dumb shit on my phone, like, have anything to do with the merit of my music or anything like that? But it really is and has been and still has been wildly beneficial for me to use and connect me with people that may not have ever heard me or um because when i started when i put out that record i wasn't touring i'm still not ever touring play shows but and so there was no way for me to necessarily build a a fan base from playing because i couldn't because i was teaching and coaching and that used all my time and so i took twitter as a way to to promote my music and talk to people and genuinely talk to people, not just try to gain as many followers as I could and, and sync it up to my Facebook or to my reverb nation page and never pay attention to it. Um, I think why it has been successful is cause I actually, I enjoy talking to people on there. I enjoy, um, anytime. And I've said this before and I posted this on a blog I wrote before, but you know, anytime someone, um, mentions me on Twitter is like, Hey, I heard this song by Chris and it's a great song. Y'all should check it out. So anything like that, it blows my mind because, and I make it a point to say something back and to interact with that person because anyone paying any mind, any, any ounce of their attention to what I'm doing, I don't take that lightly. Um, anybody saying, Hey, I bought your record on iTunes. I've been listening to it. It sounds great. Whatever, you know, shit. I, you know, I, I worry about buying groceries sometimes, you know, like, Oh crap, I got to buy tortillas and oh, I've got like $8 in my pocket or something, you know? So anytime somebody says, Oh, I spent $10 on your record, you know, that's, that's a big deal for me. I don't, I know. I think probably a lot of people may not view it as that, but, um, Anytime I see something like that, I try, I make it a huge point to say, you know, thanks to somebody. And I think that people see that and understand that I'm being genuine. I think that's why that that's helped me so much. Chris. <laughs> yes. This, All right, Chris. This question isn't directed towards me. <laughs> no way. Okay. This direction is going to be for Chris. Okay. Makes sense. You consider yourself Texas country. Right. But it's a little bit different than, for example, we have Red Dirt Scene, kind of right. more when you think of Texas country, thinking of, you know, Stony LaRue, things like that. Right. I don't really categorize your sound in that same genre. Right. Why um, do you consider <clears throat> yourself still in the, in the Texas country the, kind of realm? Um, I think it has a lot to do with the things I listen to um, growing up and and currently and in, in the middle of making the records I've made. I don't, I don't tend to listen to a lot of the music that I get categorized into, but I think it bends back to the country part because when I was younger, all we listened to, um, was old country radio, a station out of San Antonio called KKYX AM country music. It was like Ray Price, all that really old country music. I, I don't know what defines Texas country anymore. I think there used to be a, a thing that you can point to and say that that's, that's it. But even people like shit, you know, I don't know my and Bruce art. Cause I see their koozie there to me. 
to me, I call what I do Texas country sometimes because it's country-ish and I'm from Texas. Most times I'll lean towards just saying Americana just because it's easier and it has less, it has less connotations like you talked about, you know, from red dirt scene to all that kind of the, I can't even name how many, you know, subgenres there are under Texas country or whatever you want to call that. But I just try to stay away from labeling anything exactly this or exactly that. And, try to steer more towards the middle of the road. And I don't know why my stuff sounds, you know, like it does. I'm sure it's all of the influences that I ever listened to, even when I listened to straight gangster rap for about six years, you know, in high school. So, you know, that's why the whole Chris King from right, right, California, from, from California yeah. made a lot of sense to me. I Ooh. thought, man, yeah, that's where he gets that it. kid right there. <laughs> all right. So what are we going to play for us? Um, I don't know. I'll play a couple of songs from 1983, if that'll work. It's called Bouquet of Flowers. I bought you a bouquet of flowers today And I set a man of ace in the hall song with the radio on while an old Stadler brother's song played counting flowers all along the walls well, they're piling up and driving me out if I keep buying bouquets One of these days I'll have to give one to you But I'm scared of what you're gonna think This soft-spoken stranger at your door Handing roses to you in a vase Don't even know my name, but I know you.
What's that song about? What was that song about? That song is about um, <clears throat> there was a guy I was living with and um, in college, and he had a crush on this girl, and he said something passingly about buying her uh, flowers, and he didn't know her, and um, I thought, um, I thought about what if that happened, and he bought her flowers, and um, he never gave them to her, um, and he just kept doing that and kept doing that, and eventually it becomes a problem because your house is full of uh, flowers and um, you got nothing to do with them. That's how that song came about. Awesome. Right. What do we have next? Uh, <clears throat> this song is called Native Son. It's on 1983. It's the second track and it's about um, how I feel about Texas, I guess. Straight from my head, the 
loud enough for everyone to hear. No one's listening by you. And write a story from what I have said and make it one that I have not read. I'm crossing fingers for a happy end to what's been going on with you. Crossing fingers for a happy end To what's been going on with you Thanks. This is one that's not on anything. It's called, um, doesn't even have a chorus. It's called, um, Work With More Ease. to light fire uh keep tuning in it's great having you with us sound good <laughs> sounded amazing 